As you turn to 1 Peter, today we begin to walk through a, another book of the Bible, as we've done most of the time we've been at church, uh, working through a, a series we've been in for a couple of years, walking through the non-Pauline letters. So the, Paul wrote half the New Testament, so these are the, some of the letters that he did not write. Uh, we've walked through Hebrews most of 2021, we walked through James most of 2022, and most of 2023 will be in 1 Peter. And Lord willing, we'll f- go from 1 Peter into 1 John, and we'll hear what John has to say for the first time uh, in a book study. We did a, a ton of Old Testament prior to all this, going back pre-COVID, and we've been camped out in the New Testament for a while, and that leads us today to this book of 1 Peter. First and Second Peter, two of the three New Testament books where the apostle uh, Peter is the primary apostolic voice behind that book. Uh, anyone know the third book of the New Testament that Peter most influences? You can guess. Mark, hey, good job. Uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, is written by Mark, but it's through the eyes of Peter, uh, the apostle. And so it's strongly influenced by him. We have uh, in the back our scripture journals for First Peter like we did for the book of James. You can pick one up before you leave. Uh, bring it with you if you want or uh, take notes as we go through each book, uh, each verse. Uh, or use it at home and dig deep. Open the Word of God um, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what He's saying, uh, to help you apply it, uh, to help you live it out, obey it, meditate, journal, think about these things, and then, and then come prepared to study together on Sundays. Share what you're learning in your DNA groups, in your missional communities, and make this just part of the life of the Crossing Church over the next um, eight months. Uh, but first, we're going to spend most of our time today thinking about the author. The First Peter opens with a very simple declaration, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It matters so much the who behind the what when something is shared. There are people in our life uh, who not only we really love and enjoy, but they really love and enjoy us. And when they call, they text, they send an email, man, we're like, yeah, I can't wait to talk, can't wait to engage. This is going to be fun, good time together, even if they have to say hard things. Because we know their deep affection for us. We're like, okay, give it to me. Let's talk, let's talk it out. Let's figure it out. Peter was that kind of person to the early church. And even though, as we'll see next week, he's writing to a bunch of believers scattered around Turkey that he's never met, as far as we know, they would have loved to have seen this letter arrive from a messenger. This is from Peter, who's imprisoned in Rome, about to die. He has some words for you. What? Peter? Who is Peter? He's one of the top 10 guys or, or, or ladies in the Bible that we know the most about, you know, along with Moses or, or David or Daniel or, or Paul. We, we have a lot of information on Peter. We can't cover it all this morning. But the first time Peter arrives on the scene chronologically is, is actually in the last of the four Gospels. So you have three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, we call them real fancy words, synoptic Gospels. They're just a a, a chronological summary, a synopsis of the life of Jesus. They're very similar in how they're laid out like that. They're all written within the lifetime of Peter and Paul who were killed by the Romans in the mid-60s by Nero. And then you have John, a gospel written much later, very, very different. It's as if the Spirit of God inspired John to look at what had been recorded and fill in a lot of gaps. So John is very different than the rest of the, uh, the other gospels. A lot of uh, oral teaching by Jesus and John. And while John is chronological within itself, it includes a lot of content not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in those three Gospels, Peter shows up when Jesus comes to him while he's fishing and says basically, 
Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Happens in Mark 1, uh, Matthew 4, and, and Luke chapter 5. But something has already happened because in Luke 4, Jesus is already hanging out in Peter's house around in Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee, healing his mother-in-law. So there's, there's been some interaction before Jesus went up to them while they were fishing, and John gives us a clue. John includes this story in John chapter 1. You can turn there if you want because uh, we won't really cover anything else in 1 Peter. In John chapter 1, we have this story beginning in verse 29 where the next day John saw Jesus. We're talking about John the Baptist here. Jesus, not the same John who wrote John. Uh, Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it rested on, he rested on him. And I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I, John the Baptist, have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him and say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, well, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, and you will see, he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day and it was about four in the afternoon and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Peter, uh, to Jesus rather. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. John the Baptist confessing who Christ is through this baptismal story. John seeing Jesus the next day, again confessing who Jesus is, the Lamb of God. His two disciples went from following him to following Jesus, which is what John the Baptist wanted. One of them was Andrew, who would later become one of the 12 disciples, and Andrew had this brother, Simon Peter. He went and found him. We've met the Messiah. They bring him to Christ, and Jesus changed his name from Simon to Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. And some of you are saying, I know the Bible. And I know that that actually happened later. So why is it recorded now? Ah, contradiction. Must not be true. Must all be made up. The whole thing's made up. Okay, let's calm down the little inner skeptic in yourself. There's good answers for all these kinds of things that we see in the scriptures. Um, later on, it did happen in Matthew 16. We'll look at that in a little while. But that doesn't mean it also didn't happen here. There's nothing wrong with Jesus on multiple occasions speaking this new name and new identity to Peter. Similar to how Jesus calls these guys to follow him on multiple occasions. Here they're introduced in Mark 1, Matthew 4, Luke 5. You have Peter and his brothers fishing along with James and John. And Jesus walking up and telling them, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They leave, left the nest to follow him. That doesn't contradict what we read in John. It seems that there was this process to Jesus calling these men into a relationship of rabbi and disciple. There was a process of them pulling away from their old life and reorienting their new life to Jesus, much like what many of us go through in our own life. There can be sudden dramatic shifts, conversions of our heart and mind to radically leave behind sin and follow Jesus, radically leave behind a previous way of life and have this new life. And that's the story of some in this room. 
real dramatic conversion events. But for a lot of us, following Jesus is this slow, this gradual, three steps forward, four steps back, the ebbs and flows of following a new master. No longer us in charge, but him. And sometimes we get it right, and we're joyfully following him. Yes, this is great. And sometimes he's dragging us, kicking and screaming like a toddler, throwing a temper tantrum. But it's all part of following Jesus. And, and when we get it wrong, he comes after us, because that's what he said he'd do. Leave the 99 to come get the one. He's the hound of heaven who comes after those who stray. And this is going to be a theme of what we, this will be a theme of what we know about Peter's life. Um, ultimately, Jesus appoints Peter and the other 11 to this significant position. You see this in Mark 3. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those that he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles to be with him and to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And he appointed the 12. To Simon, he gave the name Peter. And to James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. In all of the listing of the apostles, it's always Peter, James, and John listed first. The early, early disciples recognized them as the inner three of Jesus, the, early, uh, uh, the inner three followers of Jesus, the early leaders among Jesus' disciples. And it says in this passage, he summoned those he wanted. Jesus chose them, which was unusual for a Jewish rabbi. Usually, disciples of a potential rabbi go to the rabbi and say, can we follow you? This is very unique. Jesus chose them. Come follow me, be with me, he says. So this is an intimate relationship where you're just with Jesus, being changed by Jesus. And then, as you had this new identity, he named them apostles, new identity. Now you have a new way of life, a new initiative. Go and preach the gospel. And he gave them that new name and that new calling, apostles, which Peter used when referencing himself in 1 Peter 1. And then he gave them a task. This new identity leads to a new task. Go and preach and demonstrate the power of your preaching through spiritual authority over demons like Jesus had. Peter's probably the most liked or maybe most appreciated disciple and apostle to so many because he is so flawed and so open about his flaws. Like Peter was the leader in the early church. He could have used that influence to, hey, when we're recording all this and we're having all these letters and we're kind of combining this and this thing called the New Testament, let's kind of airbrush some of these mistakes I made, some of these dumb things I said. Let's just kind of uh, edit this, uh, this manuscript a little bit. But he didn't because he knew the Holy Spirit want that wanted that included. Even the, even the gospel account that he's most influencing uh, that had what could be considered embarrassing moments. Peter wasn't about image maintenance. He was real. He's authentic. He was led by the Spirit to show the full gospel transformation that he experienced. So yes, Peter had these incredible moments, uh, like in Mark 6 and Matthew 14. After Jesus fed the 5,000, his disciples left him to go across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus stayed to commune with the Father. And, and then the night came on and a storm came on the sea. And Jesus decided to go join his disciples in the Sea of Galilee. So he just moseys on out across the lake. Normal thing to do if you're Jesus, son of God. You have power over creation. And the disciples who were, some of them experienced fishermen, see this man walking on water. Now, if we saw this today, we'd be like, well, I guess that can happen. I've heard of that before. But these disciples had never heard of that, never seen this before. What is, what is going on? If you read the, the account, they think it's a ghost. 
So Jesus calls out to them. He knows they're afraid. It's I. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. And Peter responds to Jesus and says, well, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. Now, I mean, we don't know what Peter was really thinking. Maybe we can speculate and, you know, maybe Peter thought it was a rhetorical question. Jesus is surely not going to say come. He's just going to say, no, Peter, it's really me. Just give me a second. I'll get over to the boat. Maybe he's thinking if Jesus, when Jesus says come, he's like, ah, I'm just kidding. Uh, just messing around. Just wanted to see what you would say. But he said, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat. And it's an amazing experience that he's the only one who's ever experienced this, as far as we know. He's walking on water in a storm with his eyes focused on Jesus until he quit focusing on Jesus and looked around. Oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I'm not supposed to be out here doing this. And he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and lifts him up and they get in the boat. And immediately the storm is quieted and stills. The, the disciples were afraid of the storm until the one with real power got in the boat. And then they were reverentially afraid of him. Who is this man? Surely he is the son of God. And they worshipped him as the son of God. It's an incredible experience that Jesus was teaching them about faith, uh, what can be accomplished, focused on Jesus, full of Jesus. We can accomplish literally anything and everything Jesus commands if our faith is in him. But if your faith is not in Jesus, then you don't really have faith. You just have wishful thinking or wishful hoping. Um, but no Jesus, and we literally have no faith, because true faith is Jesus-focused. And as we walk through 1 Peter, you're going to see a huge spotlight put on Jesus by Peter. He learned this lesson. He, he got it. It's really about our eyes focused on Jesus. Peter later gathered with his disciples. Jesus asked them a question that he's asked them a few times. Matthew 16, verse 13 came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he said to his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. This high point of what you might say of Peter as a disciple, the one who could see clearly who Jesus was, and he had the boldness to say it out loud. Empowered by the Spirit of God, of course, further cementing his position as the leader of the early church among the disciples or apostles. And followed by this incredible promise that we are a part of. Jesus has been building his church for the last 2,000 years. And no one can stop it. Not the gates of Hades. In fact, if you dig into that passage, gates are not an attacking weapon. Gates are a defensive weapon. So it's actually the church that's attacking the gates of Hades. And we've been doing that. And it's happening all over the world, all the time. Jesus' church growing, advancing, light penetrating darkness, destroying the kingdom of darkness. Until one time, it, that's all there will be is the kingdom of light and God's people of every nation, tribe, people, and language. And this is, so this is a high point for Peter. Look at me. I understand who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit helped, of course. But this is followed by Matthew 16, 
Very next verse, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Jesus. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Peter's love and passion for Jesus' safety Okay, that's sweet. You love Jesus. We know that. Was misguided and more in line with what Satan wanted than what God wanted. Which can be true often when we are choosing safety and comfort over steps of obedience and faith when it may cost us something. Jesus protected, growing old, dying of a natural death. Satan rejoices because Jesus didn't come to accomplish his redemption. But Jesus crucified on the cross like a criminal, even though he's innocent, dying in the place of sinful humanity, sacrificing himself in our place, Satan is crushed. Satan is defeated. And this is what makes 1 Peter chapter 1 possible. You can't read this very first chapter of 1 Peter unless Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. It makes no sense. I mean, if Peter got what he wanted in those verses, most of his letter couldn't be written because it was centered around the sacrificial death of Jesus, which is a challenging question for us to ask about our lives every day. Am I living my life thinking most about God's concerns or just human concerns? Here's the cool thing. If I give my life to be concerned about what God's concerned about, guess what? Humans are caught up in that because God is greatly concerned about us. We are only being in creation made in his image, and he came to redeem us. But I can live my life only caring about human concerns. And that is the way of Satan, as Peter found out, and had to be rebuked for. God, help us. Help us have your heart and your mind for us and not just our own mind and heart. Peter paints one of the most vivid descriptions of Satan in 1 Peter 5 as a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour, devour, and he knows this, what he experienced in Matthew 16, the, the one he most loved, looking at him in the face, saying, get behind me, Satan. And Peter would later face Satan in an even more challenging way in Luke 22. Jesus is looking at Peter, saying, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told them, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Oh, man, you love Peter. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. We don't have many recorded instances of this in the Bible. We know of Job and Peter, whom we know Satan sought permission to give trouble in their life. Which reminds us in some ways that as much power as Satan does have, he does, it's limited. It only happens within the sovereign purposes of God. God can say no and he can't touch us. God can say this far and he can't go any further. But sometimes our Father says yes. Never to crush us. Always to purify us, sanctify us, grow our faith, never to destroy us. Job's faith survived and was rewarded and here Jesus gives Peter hope. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when 
when you have turned back. Strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew. He knew it was about to happen, not just the bad, but the good. So did Peter's faith fail around the fire while Jesus was illegally on trial, being asked and accused three times of being an associate of Jesus and denying that reality, three times using profanity to insist, I'm not with him. But earlier, he took a sword and cut off a soldier's ear. Jesus had to rebuke him then and say, We're not, that's not how the kingdom grows. We're not doing it by the sword, Peter. And here he was by the fire, close to Jesus. Where are the other disciples? One of them was so afraid he ran right naked. Go read that in the book of Mark. It was Mark, by the way. Could have been hiding. He was close enough that Luke records after he denied Jesus the third time, Jesus looked at Peter. That's how close he was. So did his faith fail? Well, it's complicated when persecution is on the table. What is bold? What is foolish? We're going to spend a lot of time talking about suffering in 1 Peter. Some of it caused by persecution because we identify with Jesus. Some of it not, just because we're humans living in a broken world. But something that Peter was very well acquainted with. The only time I've come anything, anywhere close to this in my life uh, was the only time I've been in a closed country doing work to spread the gospel. We got st- our team got stuck in the mountains with a bad storm, and we had to stay in this real sketchy hotel. They didn't ask for our passports, so we, in the eyes of this government, fell off the grid. So the next day, we're doing this work in this small town, and the cops show up, and they want us to go to the police station to be questioned. I did not want to go to the police station to be questioned. I wanted to get on a plane and go home. Thankfully, our interpreters were really skilled and got us out of that situation. But in that moment, I'm like, uh, I'm good. I don't need to be here. I got a wife and kids at home. And I don't want to make the situation worse for the believers we're trying to help. So I would prefer not to suffer in a police station in this country being questioned. And uh, that's, that's my immediate reaction. Suffer for Jesus? No, I'd rather not. I'd rather just go home. Not, not my greatest moment. Was it boldness? Was it foolish? Did my faith fail? I don't know. It's complicated when it comes to these kinds of things. Um, if you would have asked Peter, he would have said he failed, judging by his reaction. After the Lord turned, Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will die me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. But this momentary failure would not ultimately define Peter. The same Peter who denied Jesus openly, unashamedly, profanely even, would weep in remorse. And he was the same guy on Sunday morning when they heard, they were in hiding, but when they heard from Mary and Martha that the tomb was empty, he's racing John. To go see if it's true. John, John beat him. That's okay. John, John included that in his gospel. Oh, by the way, I outran him. But Peter was running. I got to go find out. It's the same Peter at the end of John who's fishing, going back to what he knew until he was told otherwise. And the resurrected Jesus shows up on the shore to hang out with him. And Peter sees him from the shore, sees this guy. And Jesus says, hey, it's me. It's Jesus. Peter doesn't wait to row the, the boat or sail the boat back to shore. Peter just jumps in the sea i got to get to him. I can't get to him fast enough because i got to be close to him again. This resurrected friend of mine, shepherd of my soul. Maybe it's what we love about Peter the most, not just his open mistakes that he makes, but his unabashed passion and deep affection, unashamedly for Jesus. Even when it was misguided and wrong, it was still for Jesus. Like just a few minutes ago, we're singing Christ Alone, and people's hands were raised, and I was like, 
what would it be like for Peter to sing this? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if we're going to sing in heaven the songs that we wrote down here. Maybe the good ones. I have a list. But if we do, that'd be a great one. Can you imagine Peter singing that? Maybe he already sings it. Maybe he already knows it. Who knows? Just experience what he experienced and love Jesus as much as he loves Jesus. And then, like the Spirit was like, hey, hang on, Jared. Before you put Peter up here, remember that Jesus, through the Word and the Spirit, wants you to love me as much as Peter does. This is what Jesus told Thomas when Thomas was doubting. You know, okay, Thomas, here's my scars. Now you've seen me. Now you believe. But blessed even more are those who haven't seen me and believed. There's nothing to keep us from experiencing that in Jesus' eyes. Just ourselves. He's like, come. Come so that you know me with that kind of intimacy so that when you sing in Christ alone, you have as much love and passion and devotion as Peter does, as Paul does, as all these people that we see in the scriptures, as his own mother, Mary, does. So don't let that, don't, don't, we're talking a lot about Peter, but don't put him on a pedestal. He'd be like, don't do that. Don't do that. You follow Jesus and come after him as hard as I did by the grace of God, with the spirit of God, the word of God. This was Peter, focused on Jesus, flavored by Jesus, open, raw, messy, unapologetic, but it's all about Jesus, which made his rejection of Jesus so crushing, but it also made his restoration so beautiful. In John 21, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. The second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. A lot's been made in sermons about this conversation. We don't see it in the English, but in the original language of the New Testament, Jesus is using a word for love, agape, and Peter's responding with a different word for love, phileo. And I've preached that sermon before. I've heard that sermon. But the more I've learned, the more I've realized that's not really the big deal of this passage. You don't have to know Greek to know the big deal of this passage. The big deal is Peter is next to a charcoal fire talking to Jesus. The only other time John records Peter next to a charcoal fire is when Peter was denying Jesus. Now Jesus has him again around the fire, asking him three times for his love and affection, just like he denied Jesus three times, calling Peter to be a shepherd. In 1 Peter, when Peter talks about church leadership, he doesn't call elders to go be fishers of men. He calls us to be shepherds of God's flock. Peter, you've run back to fishing, but now I need you to be a shepherd. I need you to feed God's people, lead God's people. And Jesus calls Peter to follow him even to death because that's what a shepherd does for his sheep. Gives his life for their good. And Peter is now restored in a way he will never forget and sent to lead the church, and they knew it too. They knew that this was his position. Jesus ascends. Peter's and the other, Peter and the others gather and wait for the Spirit to fall in Acts 2, and the Spirit falls, and Peter preaches the first sermon of the now Spirit-indwelt church that will be the living temple built with living stones on the cornerstone that is Jesus, as we'll see in 1 Peter. 
chapter 2. 3,000 heard and believed, and the church was born. And through the first 10, 15 chapters of Acts, Peter is pretty much front and center, as the apostles do, uh, as the apostle to the Jews, while Paul is being saved, and he becomes this 13th apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. They're both capital A, apostles of Jesus Christ, only 13 ever, the original 12, minus Judas, insert Matthias, plus Paul, on which the church will be built, the only role in the early church that's ever accompanied by this moniker of Jesus Christ, apostles of Jesus Christ. You see that throughout the New Testament. You don't see teachers of Jesus Christ or evangelists of Jesus I mean, they are, but it's not spelled out because this was a very specific role, apostles of Jesus Christ. This clear declaration Peter uses of his position, his authority, I am speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So these words I'm about to write to you, church, are the words of Jesus Christ. They carried that kind of weight and that kind of authority. Peter, of course, in Acts 10, Galatians 2, he would struggle to be okay with the fact that Gentiles were being brought into this work along with God's chosen people, the Jews. But again, Jesus does what Jesus does. When things aren't right in us, he changes us. He sanctifies us. He grows us. He transforms us. By the time we get to the, the letter of 1 Peter, he's writing, he says in the first few verses, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a primary, primarily Gentile audience in modern-day Turkey. Gentiles, he struggled to see his co-heirs with Christ and the Jewish people. He so strongly struggled that Paul had to call him out. In Galatians 2, you're favoring the Jews over the Gentiles. This looks like racism, Peter Favoring one ethnicity over another ethnicity. And even though you're the leader of the church, I'm telling you, you're out of step with the gospel. But Peter got it because as he's writing to this audience, he sees them also as chosen. God's chosen Peter, uh, people. Peter closes chapter 2 with, may God, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Not chapter 2, rather, the, the end of verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This opening salutation that we're going to dig more into next week. Peter closes his letter with a reminder of this grace. First, uh, chapter 5, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Peter would open his second letter with more grace and peace, a common o letter opening among the New Testament letters. And then finish 2 Peter with this final verse, verse 18 of chapter 3, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now, if there was a way to describe Peter, it will be someone that we know for sure grew in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see it all in his life. Which, which by the way, as, as I mentioned earlier, Peter doesn't, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm not like wearing a cape. He, he would tell us, I was just a fisherman. I'd already been rejected by the religious schools. In fact, in the early years of the church, they made fun of these guys because they were unlearned, uneducated, not of the elite in society. So don't, don't make much of me. He came, and, he came and found me. He came and chose me. He came and said, be with me. He came and said, you be an apostle. He came and said, you go and preach. And you cast out demons. You make my name known. But through that vessel, we find out in the book of Acts, they turn the world upside down. Which is the same thing Jesus wants to do in us. The same thing he wants to do through the people of God today. So as we walk through this letter that calls us God's people, born again into a living hope, redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, a holy people, so many 
uh, descriptors of our identity. We'll see so many dynamics of who we are as God's people, the redeemed. Some believe this letter could have been read at early baptismal ceremonies as a, a laying out the basics of what it means to follow Christ. Maybe so. We don't know. What we do know is that it's so full of Jesus and so descriptive about who we are that it describes how we should live in all cultures, all generations. We, we say here that we believe you should live a life that demands a gospel explanation. So full of Jesus and the Spirit of God alive in us that we do things that make the world say, why? And we are always, as 1 Peter 3.15, ready at any time to give in a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So let's walk through this letter together over the next eight months. Let's dig deep. Let's be open to how we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at on that journey today, Jesus wants to take you further. So if you happen to be sitting here and you're like, ah, man, I'm just religious. I don't think Jesus really is alive inside of me. I don't think I've ever come alive in Christ. I claim to be a Christian because everyone around here claims to be Christians. But man, my heart doesn't desire this intimacy and this love and this devotion to Jesus. I don't really love what he loves or hate what he hates. I, I, I'm just kind of jumping through hoops, making people impressed by me. Like, if that's who you are, Jesus is here to set you free from that bondage. Say, turn from the sin of religion and trust in Jesus and be set free to enjoy being his child. Dearly loved daughter and son of your father in heaven. Enjoy this relationship that I've called you to. It's hard. It asks us to sacrifice everything. It's demanding. It's not possible apart from the spirit of God alive in you. But he wants it for you. So if today is the day of your salvation, I would encourage you as we pray in a few moments, turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. He alone has done everything necessary for you to know him. But for, for many of us who follow Jesus already, wherever you're at, he wants to take you further. He wants you to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's never a point in which you can say, all right, I've done enough. Until your dying breath, you've never done enough. You can love him more, you can serve him more, you can enjoy him more, you can share him more. And it's not because we're trying to earn our way into heaven or keep the salvation he's freely given us by his grace. It's because he always wants more of us and wants us to know more of him. It's a relationship of grace and love. Just like a, a marriage, like a marriage that doesn't grow in intimacy is a marriage that becomes very dry and you just become roommates. You just assume things about each other. You no longer are curious about each other and pursue one another. A marriage like that needs to be revived and woken up. Hey, Let's go after each other. We're partners through life. In, in a similar way, that's what Jesus desires for us. For it to be this ongoing journey of love and affection and intimacy and growth. So wherever you're at, Jesus wants to take you further. Through the book of 1 Peter. Through a body of believers like this. Doing this together. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you are sufficient to do all these things because you love us, because you're, you are alive, your spirit is at work, your word still accomplishes your purposes. It never comes back to you void. And so I believe your word is doing work in hearts here this morning. Maybe some are coming alive because they're trusting in Jesus. And we can't wait to rejoice with them and to celebrate with them as they share that with others. Jesus affirm that good work you're doing in them as you call them to life. 
you call them to salvation. Help them to see that they are no longer the same. They have left the kingdom of darkness and they're coming into the kingdom of light. For most of us who, who follow you with much of the imperfections that Peter demonstrated, stumbling forward by grace, we thank you that you continually chase us down. You come back and find us to bring us back to the fold, to continue to grow us in the grace of knowledge. And so, Father, I pray you would speak words of affirmation that we are your kids, but that you would also speak words of conviction where that needs to happen, encouragement where that needs to happen, challenge. All for your glory, because you're at work among your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that make, you make all this possible. Amen.